You're listening to The Connected Care Team, the show where we bring you the stories of care team innovation from the people at the forefront of modern healthcare communication and collaboration. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Connected Care Team podcast brought to you by Tiger Connect. As always, I'm your host, Reagan Wynn, and this week we're going to continue one of the things that we did in our last episode, which is bring to you a session from Tiger Summit 2020, our virtual event. As, as I mentioned in the last episode, this was a wide variety of customers, as well as our guest speaker, who you heard in the last uh, episode. This next session that you'll hear today was a fireside chat, and a little bit different than the first fireside chat you heard in the last episode, of Dr. Andrew Barbash. He's a neurologist and has come up with some pretty compelling ways of using Tiger Connect to move out past the four walls and improve communication. This conversation was facilitated by our marketing manager, Kim Snow, great colleague of mine. And uh, you're going to be privy to some pretty interesting stuff in the next few minutes. So I will let Kim and Dr. Barbash take it away. Hello. Welcome to our last post-acute ambulatory track. Thank you for joining us. And for our last one, we have a little fireside chat with Dr. Andrew Barbash. Dr. Barbash has a a long list of credentials that I did not memorize, so I'm going to read from a list, forgive me. But for starters, he's a chair of the Neurology Leadership Council, and he's a clinical neurologist at SOC Telemed. So SOC is specialist on call, but we'll refer to them as SOC from here on out. He completed his neurology residency at the Mayo Clinic. He's board certified with the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. He's a member of the American Academy of Neurology and the American Heart and Stroke Association. On top of that, prior to SOC, Dr. Barbash oversaw the deployment of the EMR at Kaiser Mid-Atlantic as VP of Clinical Information Systems. And last but not least, he led the development of the Neurosciences and Stroke Program at Holy Cross Hospital in Maryland. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Obviously, you weren't always with SOC and you weren't always a teleneurologist. So what led you to where you're at today and doing strictly teleneurology? Yeah, I've always been in practice, even when I was running the EMR at Kaiser, and that was before we went to with Epic. And from very early on, and I think it really comes out of my training at the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic was really one of the most supremely efficient organizations in the history of healthcare, and has always really been in that role way before computers. And so I recognize that just communication, I thought, was just absolutely paramount in healthcare from day one, whether it's on paper and transmitting things through paper, you know, through uh, vacuum tubes across the Mayo Clinic or electronically, digitally, what it take you take your choice. And uh, so that's always been an area of focus. And the way, where I got started actually is when I was, even when I was developing out the EMR and heading that up, it became very clear to me that everything we did that just enhanced the ability to communicate message as vanilla and blank as it was without all the bells and whistles, Everything we did that was along those realms within the context of our Windows-based EMR back in 1990 always had a huge payoff, and everybody really loved it. And so that's always been a running theme of mine. And I do think it's fair to say that the absence or the lack of efficient, effective communication introduces so many inefficiencies in healthcare that it forces us to do all sorts of other things to work around it. But the reality is that if you could just easily find each other and send each other a quick message, you you could have someone take a picture of an EMR for you. You wouldn't even have access to their EMR. So uh, there's a lot about that that's just it's pretty obvious. And I think that theme has stayed that way. And then when I was uh, practicing it, when I was running the neuroscience program at Holy Cross, 
it's rather than telemedicine for rural hospitals, to me, when I would go home, if I got called about a stroke case and it was six o'clock at night, I'm not exactly going to go sit on the beltway outside of Washington, D.C. and get back in the beltway to go to the ER. So I started doing a lot of texting. Actually, I was using Google Talk with some of the ERs, which was cool. And we used some video tools. And I've used every known form of texting and video chat. I could name every company, vendor, and product in the industry. Because my feeling has been as a specialist. We don't need you to do that. (laughs) No, but if my feeling is that if you actually are somebody who works in your world and you're working with tools to help communication, it's my job to leverage them. That's the way I look at it. So my exposure to both texting and video for collaboration between our nurse practitioner and myself, the ER staff and ourselves, really came about as an outgrowth of trying to run a stroke program. And then actually advancing that capability and having a nurse practitioner rounding on the floor and being able to chat with her, him or her, and, and really stay connected. So from there, it, about eight years ago, where I was in my life, I saw that telemedicine as the real future of not just neurology, not just stroke, but I think it's probably true of the vast majority of specialists, because a huge and increasing fraction of what we do is we manage data, we work towards guidelines, we manage data, we manage communication. And while physical exams are important, they are really, truly becoming a shrinking fraction of of the care process. And I'm much more interested in sort of the threads and continuity of care that's allowed by better communication. So that's how that all came about. Yeah, I remember from one of our original conversations, and I actually direct quoted you and wrote it down because you said the future of medicine is telemedicine. And it was so catchy that I was going to make you repeat that, but you already did for me. So we're good. So what I'd like to do is dive a little bit deeper into not just communication and texting, but we had some really interesting conversation around workflows and working out beyond the four walls of your organization and how you can leverage other physicians at other facilities, whether it's through just direct communication or through forums. And I wanted to see if you could speak a little bit about just crossing the boundaries of your organization for problem solving and improved care. So if there's any workflows, effective communication strategies, efficient collaboration tools you can talk about, it'd be great. Yeah, if you think about the challenge of, so in my clinical work, I do two things. One is that I'm uh, working on some volunteer virtual care work in the outpatient setting to try to help people in the uh, safety net clinics, which you can imagine have been under incredible stress with the uh, COVID scenario, just as was mentioned before the prior talk. And obviously for specialists on call, I am, I'm not saying that everybody specialists on call using (laughs) Direct Connect, but I do. And, and the reason (laughs) for that is because I found out that several of their clients actually had it deployed. And my feeling, to, as I mentioned before, is my job is to help take care of patients in your facility. So we have to figure out how to work together effectively. And if you're already working on that kind of platform, hey, what the heck, as long as it's easy and doesn't involve a lot of complexity and a bunch of IT documents to be signed. And But the, cha- the reason for that is because by definition, in order to effectively and efficiently deliver telemedicine care, this is about way more than getting on with a video card. Everybody thinks that's what telemedicine is. And to me, that is actually in many ways going to become a shrinking. That should be a shorter and shorter element of the process of telemedicine. And the communications and the asynchronous communications are really becoming a much bigger one. And so obviously, I'm interacting with upwards of 200, 220 hospitals in 27 states. I've got, I have to have effective ways of interacting with people. And so the kinds of things that are important are that we're being asked to see a consult. We're assigned a patient. It's at a given hospital. 
if I find out that the folks at that hospital are on well, Tiger, or they're on a messaging platform, and I have access to it, I've com- completely changed the efficiency of that process. So if I compare myself to 60 colleagues at that time, I'm the one who's instead of hunting people down on the telephone, trying to find out who the real doctor is, who's the attending physician, where's the nurse, et cetera. I'm sitting there literally sending a quick text at the same time in parallel to when I might be actually looking at a CAT scan if I've accessed the EMR or something. So I'm, I'm parallel processing by using asynchronous communication and already beginning to cover the gaps of, of knowledge and triage. And so the ability, I can give you thousands of examples of this. I'm assigned a case that might be a clot-busting drug stroke case while everybody's all getting mm-hmm. hysterical about getting a video card and trying to get whatever information they can. I'm sitting there sending a quick text to the doc going, hey, just want to let you know, <laughs> I'm looking at the CAT scan. What do you think? And that person messaging me back and says, oh, this started a month ago. Don't worry about it. It's not that urgent. Oh, that's awesome. That's completely <laughs> changed what I'm doing, right? On the other hand, yeah, sometimes it's the, the whole trajectory of the care the that's going to be given. The person, or the person messaged back and says, oh, thanks. I'm not actually really their attending. It's the PA who's covering. Could you please get in touch with XYZ? If you were trying to do that through the telephone, it was it's impossible. Yeah. And so it's those it's bridging that gap between an expert who's either at home or wherever they are and the clinical people at the other institution with, without the ability to really solve that workflow challenge, that kind of parallel processing, kind of messaging. Let me get a quick sense of what's actually going on, what's actually needed. You can imagine the circumstances where the nurses may be actually on a messaging platform. You could actually be messaging with the nurse saying, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see the patient right now. What do you think happens? The nurse will text you back and go, oh, actually, she's off at the ultrasound. How about a half an hour? I just saved myself 10 minutes of mucking around, right. expecting something to happen. Or, you know what? She speaks Spanish. Let's wait for her family to come in. It'll be a more effective thing. So it's, the, it's not the messaging technology. It's the nature of the content that's actually taking place and they, mm-hmm. the kind of particular workflow challenges. Yeah, that's that's actually what I was uh, interested in is not just that straightforward communication, but the impact it's having on the overall process. And what you just shared basically changes the whole way that the person might be getting treated, which is and it makes it 100% more efficient to be able to act based on what's actually wrong versus still trying to figure it out and wasting time that way. And then there's another element, if I may, and that is that as per the previous speaker as well, as you look at uh, virtual care, you're Mm -hmm. beginning to really redefine the nature of healthcare. And so this is no longer, I have a patient and a situation and I refer to a specialist and they have a 45 minute visit and they have a bill and a document that goes back. It's now, it might be a three minute intake transaction. This is where this telehealth stuff really changes things with patients instead of a patient having one visit every two months, they might have five different brief telehealth visits, each to cover a specific problem. But this also means that that we can pursue continuity from the specialty perspective for telemedicine in a completely different way. So in, in, instead of thinking, I got to get everything wrapped up on the initial console to go, no, nah, uh, you know what, I can tell you what, let's just do this quick little thing. Let's get the MRI scan. Why don't you message us back in a couple hours when that scan gets done? Tell me what they actually saw. You can let me know whether I need to take some extra 10 minutes and log in and look at it, or if it was just normal the way we expect it. Maybe take a picture of some lab results and send it over to me. And so you can have a more threaded, continuous uh, interaction, which completely redefines telemedicine and creates yeah. value and efficiency. Yeah. Absolutely. 
something you had mentioned when we previously spoke, and I thought it was worth talking about here because I see a huge value in it. And I'm not sure how much it's happening right now. But you mentioned using Tire Connect forums for case discussions with other field experts and basically using those forums to capitalize on the knowledge of your peers outside of your organization. So can you talk a little bit about maybe what you would see, how people would use that, maybe specific cases that might, good examples that people could relate to? Yeah. So to the extent, without getting into the minutia of Tiger Connect and user groups and how they're structured, it's just, a, we'll talk generically, the ability yeah. to, the ability to have colleagues reliably be on a pragmatic platform that they're also using for other purposes, which makes it more likely mm-hmm. they're going to use it and be notified, really allows you to, to just accept the fact that you are You have other experts, you have other people in the field. So if I'm taking care of stroke patients or someone with movement disorders, et cetera, you can imagine if I've got a a forum created or I can immediately create a kind of a case form and I can invite in some three or four people I know who do movement disorders, they may not even work for my own, just my own organization, but they're interested. We could all collaborate and say, hey, what do you think of this person? Let me record this video, push it up there. What do you think? And so I, I think what that does is it gets us closer to true, truly meaningful collaboration, which is very different, actually, than going on websites where you can post case discussions at a generic level. What happens there is I want to talk specifically about my page. I really want I, I want to get closer to the actual care of the patient. This isn't just an academic discussion. And and so you to be able to leverage this very effective back and forth messaging and notification process, that's really where you're looking at is to be able to just accept the fact that you have a limited knowledge base, you have colleagues who know more, you may be the first specialist to actually interact with the patient, but you're the one who's recognized. You really need another level of expertise, whether it's someone in radiology or neurosurgery or an epilepsy expert for a neurologist. That happens very commonly. I can't tell you how often it is that I really need to can benefit from someone else's expertise. Mm-hmm. Do you have an emergency happening, by the way? Is that your phone that keeps beeping? Oh, like, you, you know, here you got a good okay. example of a telephone phone. I was just worried. I was like, if someone needs you, <laughs> you don't want to keep I can show you um, all the different messages, things popping up. <laughs> <laughs> you can show us x-rays of them. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we, that's a lot about using efficiencies and talking to experts and making sure that you guys are collaborating. Something we talked about before was one of the things you said to me was just, and you touched on this a little bit when we first started speaking, and we have just a little bit more time left. So I just want to really capitalize on, you had mentioned that with poor communication, it can really impact the health system and all of healthcare in general. And you touched on it when we first started, but I really want it because we are a communication and collaboration platform and we are virtual care. And so we obviously pride ourselves on that communication is the most important thing. And I think that threads through every part of life. But because of where you are in your pure teleneurology, which is um, something I didn't even know existed before I met you. But so thank you. (laughs) So maybe you could just talk a little bit and put a kind of a cap on this conversation about communication and the impact it has on the overall healthcare in general, and maybe how you've seen it kind of change in your life. I think what's happened is the I think we're getting to the point where the technology is almost becoming irrelevant. In other words, it's really not a technological issue anymore because 
most of this, as someone said earlier, most of your elderly patients you think don't have cell phones, they actually do. Their mm-hmm. people really have migrated to more efficient and effective, sometimes overwhelming, too many notices, that kind of thing, methods of communicating. So I think we can now begin accepting it's a standard that we are not going to be we're not going to be limited by an assumption that the technology is the limiting is a limiting factor or that the technology is gee whiz and you have to become a guru in order to leverage it. And it's true that even if you look at yourself as a clinician who wants to continuously learn, one of the ways you learn is you are regularly getting feedback on the results of what you do. And if you only rely on seeing cases and then logging into an EMR or have somebody send you a report back later, that's one thing. If you actually are making decisions and recommendations based on often incomplete information, and you've got very ready access to have a family feedback to you, have a family get back in touch with you, have a mid-level provider, a nurse, someone else, I just I would like to get the result, you know, what happened on this particular test or how's this person just doing? You've enriched your learning process. And I can tell you as someone who's been in practice for a long time. And I don't know how much longer I'll do all this, but you never stop learning. You never stop learning. And I think we are, those of us who have decided to really leverage communication in a broad way, find that it's an essential ingredient to that continuous learning process. And that's one example, because the the numbers of points in the care process that you can actually get regular, reliable, asynchronous feedback when it's convenient for that person to get you whatever information you want in whatever method is most practical, taking pictures, recording mm-hmm. videos, type of thing. It's convenient for them. It's convenient for you. Uh, we just enhance the ability to actually enrich our, our knowledge base and, and what we learn from. There's so many examples of this. I can tell you that I work in a practice where most of my colleagues think they really can't get great follow-up when they give clot-busting drugs to patients. Mm-hmm. I use tools to reach out to patients, and I know exactly from the family within 24 hours, exactly how everybody's been doing, regardless of what state, what hospital they're in. You can't even put a price on that. And it's instant. Yeah, you don't have to wait. And the patient doesn't have to wait. And that was, we actually had a question come in for you. And it was actually about patients. So how does your specific role integrate with patients? So are you speaking with patients directly and doing um, consults? Or are you just working with these other physicians and they're relaying that information? Yeah, let's, so let's, if you extract the specific technology from this discussion and get to the principle, right? The re- the reality is that is yes, regardless of what your tools are. And I mean, Tiger is terrific. I love it. The we are. It's not uncommon, for example, that I will if I'm actually uh, doing a case and the patient is in the hospital in the ER with a nurse. I actually want to engage with the patient's family or their caregiver or someone who's really uh, their legal power of attorney, someone who's much more knowledgeable about them. The patient may not be responsible or we want to participate in shared decision making. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm actually, even though you would think that my role is basically to work directly with the nurses yeah. or doctors with the patient present, a lot of times I'm actually separately interacting with the patient or patient's family. I also, in the outpatient arena, I have a real interest in trying to enhance a a specialty to primary care collaboration for the safety net programs in particular. I, 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 my Mayo mentality says to me, why can't we deliver the virtual Mayo Clinic to people, whether they have health insurance or not? Everybody really deserve access to expertise. That's an area where what I found was that because patients and families do actually adopt this whole messaging thing almost faster than the doctors do, the a lot of times the most efficient way to actually provide specialty support to another physician is to be willing to directly talk with the patient, not just, mm-hmm. oh, 
what, what did they say about this? Did you ask those questions? Because a lot of times people are busy in the clinics. They don't remember to ask the 72 questions about the headaches that you want the answers to. It's a lot right. of more efficient times for me to go directly to the patient. Yes. Yeah. Something that I've learned across just all the sessions today is, which is super good to hear, is that the adoption of this technology is almost 100% across the board and that it's really simple for people to grasp. And I think that sort of really aligns with your future of medicine is telemedicine and virtual care in general, because we're all communicating through text and through video, especially now through COVID. So it's really nice to hear you're a really specific example of kind of virtual care, doing consults and speaking with other physicians outside of your, you know, specialties on or specialists on call. So it's nice to hear. Have you had any issues with anyone adopting technology or transitioning to this sort of this sort of type of medicine? No, I think that the most common issues you really run into are the fact that as you're on the on-ramp and really transitioning to new methods of interacting with each other, you may be interacting with a hospital that has implemented XYZ system, and sure. not all the physicians are actually really logging into it regularly for that purpose. And and like many systems, you're, it's the when the adoption is highest on the other end, your reliability of it delivering value for you is much higher. So I, I think it's I think there's we still have a ways to go in people's mindsets being yeah. that communication. We need all clinical people to understand how fundamental communication is and to not be accepting the inefficiencies of communication we've had before because the tools are all out there and certainly things like this tiger are just brainlessly simple to use. Yeah, I think all humans in general need to need to really <laughs> embrace communication and be the best we can at it. So we are essentially out of time. I covered all the questions that came in for you. Before I let you go, so first of all, I want to say I really enjoy talking to you and thank you so much for your time. But is there anything else you'd like to uh, give to our audience? Anything that you think that the other Tire Connect clients might benefit from hearing from you? Nope. Other than the fact that I think if you look into the future, I think we may very well be finding that some of the operational transactional activity that comes about message from messaging processes may turn out to be very important elements of medical knowledge themselves. I, I, th I think that's something to really chew on and think about. Just so people are looking at people shopping patterns in CVS as a way to predict whether the yep. flu is, is coming. I think we yeah. may very well find that the ways people are communicating the frequency by which they're communicating, the content, et cetera, who they're doing it with, could actually become very important data elements in actually understanding their some predictive modeling around their disease patterns, et cetera. That's very futuristic to think about, but it may not be as far away as we think. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Barbash, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. I know that it's very you're very busy, so I, I just wanted to thank you again. And I'm sure we will be in touch soon. It's been a pleasure working with you. My pleasure. So that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Kim and Dr. Barbash. As always, if you have not subscribed, uh, please do so. You can connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And we will see you again on the next episode of the Connected Care Team podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connected Care Team. To learn more about Care Team Collaboration Solutions, please visit us at TigerConnect.com and be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook so you can stay connected to the latest episodes, news, and announcements.